0: Welcome back to Missing. I am Tim here today with Lance. Lance, how are you today? I'm doing really well today, Tim.
1: I'm really happy to be presenting this conversation to the listeners. Speaking of the listeners, I hope they're doing just as fantastic as I am. And are looking forward to this conversation as well. How are you, Tim?
0: I am doing great over here, Lance. I'm excited to bring our audience this conversation about Mike Montijo. It is a, um, a lesser known missing persons case. It's from Ridgeville, South Carolina. He went missing on January 26th, 2020. He is currently 58 years old. He was 55 when he went missing. He is a white male, about 5'5", 165 pounds. And in this conversation, we speak with his sister, Belinda.
1: And I know we've said it many times before, but whenever we have the opportunity to have family members on, family members of missing individuals, we always realize how important that is, not only to our listeners, but to that particular individual on the show, the missing person's family members. And we've been trying to get people to leave supportive comments on anywhere that you can comment when you listen or watch on YouTube is a pretty good place to do this because we do know that the family members and the extended family read these. And if there's any constructive criticism, anything that you'd like to say in support of the family or that person, please feel free to leave that. It does do a lot of good that you might not expect.
0: Absolutely. And there is a GoFundMe in Mike Montillo's case, and it's for a billboard and for attorney fees. And so Belinda has set this up. It is on GoFundMe. You can find it at Mike Montijo billboard and or attorney fees. And there's a link in the show notes.
1: And we are joined by Lou Berry, who is a former police chief in Massachusetts. That's been his entire career his entire professional life has been in law enforcement and mike was in the navy and he had other special ops assignments that he did and lou makes an excellent point towards the end of the episode that you want to stick around for i think it is incredibly important to hear what lou has to say and it really puts things into perspective
0: and this case came into to us by way of private investigations for the missing. So you can check out everything that they do at investigationsforthemissing.org. And please follow their social media pages. There are links in the show notes.
1: Tim, where can
0: people follow us if they're looking to follow us on social media? They can find us at MissingCSM on social media. Thanks a lot for listening, everybody. We really appreciate it. Belinda and Lou, thank you so much for joining us here today on Missing. We really appreciate it. How are you both doing today?
4: Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us on here. I'm doing well.
1: And Lou, it's always a uh, delight to have you on the show. Um, I don't think you really know the uh, cult following you're establishing amongst the uh, true crime community, but you're becoming a, a bit of a legend. So it's always nice to have a growing legend on the show. And Belinda, thank you for joining us. I wish that we could have people on because we were talking about something that wasn't uh, a missing person, a tragedy or something like that. It's a pleasure to meet you, despite the circumstances in which we're meeting.
4: Nice to meet you, too. And yeah, I mean, it's what you do. So, And anything that we
1: can uh, put out there in regards to Michael, um... This is why you're here. So it's it's technically your platform and we're just going to be guiding you through the details and hopefully we can get enough information out there where people can hear it and maybe something will jog in someone's memory which will lead to some conclusion.
4: Okay,
0: sounds good. Okay, and tell us a little bit about Mike. How is your relationship and what is he like?
4: Mike was a 20-year retired Navy veteran. Yeah, he was a good guy. He would help people out as much as he could. When he's in South Carolina, I don't think he really had a lot of friends down there, you know, because he had already retired from the Navy when he moved down there. He had a few. He wouldn't just up and leave his stuff. He was um, a homebody. You know, he wouldn't just disappear. You know, he was always there for me and, you know, our brothers and, you know, his stepson he raised him um, like his own. It's really kind of heartbreaking here.
1: Yeah, I, I can't even imagine. And, and Mike, does he go by Mike or Michael?
4: He goes by Mike.
1: Mike, okay. Mike is your brother and you said that you have other siblings. How, what's the family dynamic like? How many siblings do you have?
4: I have two brothers and one sister. We're scattered all over the country. You know, I mean, I'd go see Mike the most and he'd come see me the most. We were the closest, you know, he even gave me away when I got married. <laughs> so, you know, that was our relationship. It was very close. So, you know, and he was highly regarded, um, in the Navy. I had, uh, so many people reaching out to me, inquiring about him and they still do wanting to know what happened to him and telling me how much that he had taken them under their wing and helped them out you know whenever they were in the navy and you know mentored them so you know that says something for itself right there
1: Totally does and what motivated him to enlist in the navy and when was that and how long did he serve
4: Um he enlisted when he was 18 right out of high school he wrestled in high school and he was trying to get a scholarship and he didn't get one. So, you know, um, we grew up in Kansas, not a lot of options in the middle of Kansas. So he, he joined the Navy. Yeah. He was a, um, chief petty officer when he retired. So he was, he was in there for 20 years. Wow.
1: Yeah. How was he as a wrestler?
4: He was pretty good. We're small. So he wrestled in in the lower weight classes. So yeah, he was pretty good. Lots of trophies and medals at my grandparents' house.
1: <laughs> that, that's awesome. When we were looking into him, they list the statistics and he was listed as 5'5", I think 100, about 165 pounds. So when you said he was a wrestler, I just pictured like, yeah, like a small, like yeah. stocky, like, <laughs> you know, tough to pin type wrestler.
4: You got it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what brought him to South Carolina? He, this, um, the town he lived in was Ridgeville, South Carolina?
4: He served there at Goose Creek um, for quite a few years, and that's where he met his wife. And then when he retired, they um, moved back down there um, onto her parents' land, put a home there on there. Where did the family grow up? Well, in Kansas.
0: Okay. So you all kind of moved around. And so Mike was married. Was he married when he went missing?
4: Yes. His wife was the last one to see him.
1: Had, Had he been experiencing any sort of emotional distress or anything of the sort?
4: I am i don't know. I mean, the last time I talked to him and I talked to my dad too, because he's, he loved football. Kansas City Chiefs were his team. And so they would talk every Sunday. He told me that he had drinking problems and, you know, he couldn't kick the problem and he had a, uh, was going to go um, get some help at the VA. The last time I talked to him and he, you know, was trying to get over, you know, his alcoholism. So, and he'd had several, you know, bouts. I mean, I don't, You know, the last time I talked to him and my dad, he sounded fine. I think he probably had some PTSD and he used to always say he couldn't talk to anybody because, you know, it's security clearance. I'm like, you can talk to a psychologist. They won't say anything. So he um, also worked in Rhode Island at the Warfare Division for a while. So, you know, he had a pretty high security clearance. And when he's in the Navy, he was on those nuclear subs and he couldn't even tell us where he was going. So,
1: yeah, it's unfortunate. We hear stories like that all the time where a certain generation or even just a certain occupation will just embed itself so deeply in somebody that they are not able to talk to anybody, including a psychologist or a therapist. That's actually like more threatening to them because it's intimidating. And what's the easiest thing to turn to, to self-medicate. And it's, you know, alcohol, it's legal. You can, you can get it anywhere. And, um, it is incredibly damaging, but he was trying to get help for that by going to the VA you said, right? Yes.
0: And um, you mentioned uh, he was a Kansas City Chiefs fan, uh, a big one. Um, I don't mean to make this into a sports podcast, but they were a week away from playing in the Super Bowl when he went missing.
4: You are correct. There is no way he would have missed that game for the world. He even had a bedroom that was decorated in Kansas City Chiefs theme, his spare bedroom. So, yeah, no way.
0: Interesting. So, uh, well, what does that tell you?
4: I was told that he was trying to quit drinking and that he started hallucinating and that's what he told his wife. And we don't know if he just wandered off. I mean, he left the house without his keys, his cell phone, you know, obviously his vehicle was there, his wallet, you know, and they lived out in the country. So I usually carried his handgun with him whenever he went out just in case he ran across snakes or anything. And he didn't even, he didn't take his gun either. I mean, I don't even think he had his glasses. So, I'm not really sure what happened. I, You know, I wasn't there and me, I relied on the family and the law enforcement thinking they would do the investigation correctly, but I don't know if he just wandered off and if the people down there just didn't care enough because of his drinking to try and find him, they were just glad he was gone or if something happened, I, I don't know.
1: Well, it'd be super unfortunate if it was that they didn't care enough because he, because of his drinking I mean you can't just write somebody off because they have a because uh, uh, they have a disease you know and that I know. is a disease
4: I, I couldn't even get them to put up posters or flyers or anything um, I got told we took the cell phone up around to the up to the school and showed his picture around I'm like, really can't you put up some flyers somewhere And it never happened. I was told they were going to but they didn't so
0: So the official investigation left a lot to be desired
4: Correct. You know, they did go out and do a search, and that was because we were trying to get a search party together. Um, they initially had search dogs out, and they were. It was. I got like three different answers for where they went and searched, and I just kind of gave up on that, trying to get a you know an answer on that. And uh, we were getting a search party together, and the sheriff's department got the what is it the the like the natural resources people? I can't remember what they're called exactly. They went out and did a search supposedly, and I don't think they did it. I was told by someone that's in the, was in the sheriff's department. They're not anymore that they did not even do a very thorough search. It was just, you know, to appease us. And um, I I contacted a group of cadaver dogs to see if they could go out, you know, a couple months later. And they contacted sheriff's department, never heard back from them, you know, so that was probably a no or they didn't answer them. It took them, I kept bugging them to go get his laptop and cell phone. And it took them a month and a half to go get that. I think something like that took them a long time to go get it to sent it in to, you know, check it out. They took his wife in to ask her about financials and stuff, but that took like at least a month to for that as well. Yeah. Very slow. Very to me, it was like not a very good investigation. And I had researched, looked up as soon as he went missing what to do. And one of the things it said was to hire a private investigator to help him. And so I asked a wife if we could hire a private investigator, you know, get a GoFundMe going. And she told me, and she said it kind of rudely that, I have the money to hire a private investigator but I would rather drag the river instead. So.
1: That's interesting and you're talking about the river that's right there uh
4: the Edisto.
1: Edisto. Okay. Yes. Is that a big river?
4: Oh yes. Okay.
1: He uh I don't I don't know if we actually said that he maybe we did and I missed it. He's uh been missing since January 26, 2020 so we're coming up on 2 years, 3 years now.
4: 3 years, yes. And that was another issue, you know the the pandemic shut everything down, and so yep. that caused huge problems right there, huge problems. Yeah. So.
1: And there was an account of him being seen at a convenience store that morning. Is that accurate?
4: No. Um. I think Lou has a report on that. Correct. Didn't they say they weren't even open that day, Lou?
2: Yeah. He, <clears throat> excuse me, went missing or was last seen on the morning of the 26th, and it was reported to the sheriff's department on the 27th, um, and they went to a place called Jellicoe's, which is a local bar slash convenience store fairly close by. And allegedly he had been there the night before, which would have been the night of the uh, 28th, around there somewhere. And, and anyway, to make a long story short, the our investigator that was assigned interviewed the owner and the employee, and uh, neither one said that they were even open the day that they were supposedly asked about him being there the night before. So it's, it just doesn't seem that it's, there's a big discrepancy there. believe that either they had the wrong time period entirely when they talked to the, or supposedly talked to the owners, but, um, the owner and the employee both indicated that they had never been interviewed.
0: Okay. So it sounds like a little bit of a mystery, um, how that got uh, part of the, the main reporting in Mike's case.
2: Correct. I think part of the problem is the, the store itself is located right on the county line in the next county. Um, so there was some jurisdictional issues, perhaps. Uh, I, I, don't, I can't explain the discrepancy, uh, except to say that we've pretty much discounted that sighting completely.
0: Oh, uh, okay. So no one saw him after his wife saw him when he left or went missing on January 26th.
4: Not as Correct. far as that we, we know determine.
0: of. Okay. Correct.
4: Yeah, she went to work at 6.30 in the morning and came back about 6.30 that night and he was gone.
0: I see. Did she say he was asleep when she left?
4: She said that he was awake and that he told her he thought he was seeing things again. So, I don't know.
1: In one of the uh, reports, getting back to the convenience store, uh, it says that he left in an older model gold Buick vehicle. Is that indeed his car?
4: No. He drove oh. a Ford Escape. A, a newer model so he didn't have his keys his car still was at the house
0: wow so he didn't he didn't leave in his car or the gold car that we know of
2: i, I believe that statement referred to someone else's vehicle that he was seen getting in not his and there is a gold buick that is occasionally at that location but that was uh, located the operator was interviewed and doesn't know him and it was just not not relevant and
1: when you say the operator was interviewed, was the operator interviewed by the private investigator or by law enforcement or both?
2: Uh, by the law enforcement.
1: Okay. And that information comes to you. Like, how did you get that information?
2: Well, when we when Belinda initially contacted us back in October of last year, and it was reviewed in, in the Board of Directors of Private Investigation for the Missing, determined that, yeah, that was a case we would get involved in. Uh, the first thing I did was contact the sheriff's department, which is Colleton County Sheriff's Department down in South Carolina. Um, that's the same county, by the way, where the Murdoch case took place um, in South Carolina. And I initially spoke to the captain who's in charge of detectives, and he he was very cooperative and forwarded me the police reports, the initial reports, anyways. And um, our investigator followed up with some of that information and. Uh, if I recall, he, he determined that, that, um, there was an individual who was there occasionally that drove a gold Buick, but that it had been pretty much ruled out as being, um, being involved.
0: Okay. There is a private investigator that is working the case, as you mentioned. And, uh, this individual is not joining us during this conversation. So, uh, Lou, you're, uh, sort of speaking in place of this person. Is that correct?
2: That is correct. The the investigator, extremely professional, extremely competent, extremely well-qualified. He's a retired investigator from a major city in the Northeast, uh, extensive experience doing homicide investigations. Uh, and we were fortunate to not only locate him, but to get him to work for us on this case. did a very, very thorough investigation when, as far as he could go, um, submitted a great report, but he by nature of his prior employment, would rather not um, become public as to his identity, which we respect, obviously. Um, So that's why I'm kind of relaying his report or what I can in his report to you for him on his behalf.
1: And you said something interesting before we started recording. You said that this investigator was one of the best that you've ever worked with in 40 years.
2: Uh, absolutely. He's top notch. I, I can't say enough about his capabilities, his professionalism, um, and his experience. It's just, you know, like I said, in 40 years of investigating, both in law enforcement and the, on in the civilian side, um, he is the best. He really is. He's, he's just uh, very, 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 very adept at what he does.
0: And Belinda, how was your experience with the investigator?
4: Oh, it was awesome. Like I said, he kept me informed every step of the way and, you know, he would come up with ideas and ask me and of course he had to run them by Lou as to, you know, what he could do, you know, so he was great. I mean, he went as far as he could and when law enforcement isn't going to cooperate, then there's not a, you know, you can only go so far. So I'm, I'm, from what I understand, they quit um, returning calls and cooperating, which is what they did with me and my father and sister as well.
2: You know, one thing about private investigating cases like this, we we can only go so far. Uh, We can uncover facts and get information, but we can't prosecute cases. You know, we can't convene a grand jury. We can't do a lot of things that law enforcement can do. So basically what we're doing for the families is investigating and turning our information over to law enforcement. In this particular case, beyond that initial communication, we've have been unable to get a telephone call returned we've been unable to get any cooperation or communication with the sheriff's department whatsoever uh which is unfortunate uh, because i think the for the family's sake and his friend's sake you know our investigators done a a very thorough job in developing the fact that this case requires some in-depth police investigation but uh, aside from that, uh, um, I, I don't know what else we can do. And as I spoke to Belinda, um, we've just about done all we can. I, I don't don't know what else we can do in this particular case. Uh, and it's too bad. I mean, aside from his family, the Submariners are a tight group. Uh, and he's got a lot of friends out there that are also would like to know what happened to him. And um, it's unfortunate that we can't get any answers.
1: Can you uh, explain what the town's like? Is it a big town? Is it a little town? Are there a lot of town politics? And is there a lot of violence or a lot of suicides that you know of?
4: It's a small town. Um, mm-hmm. It's mostly country. There's not really much there.
2: And there's no local police department. It's the sheriff's department. that is the law enforcement agency.
1: And as far as you know, it's not. it doesn't have a high crime rate or an unusually high suicide rate or anything?
4: No, not really. I mean... Here's an interesting fact. You know, I, I was calling to talk to the detective to ask him about my brother. And um, anyway, I, I, he answered the call and I guess he thought he would viewed me or whatever, but I've heard him talking to somebody that and said, well, don't spend a lot of time looking for him because you know, he's anti-law enforcement. So I guess I find somebody else and the, whoever they told, they told them not to spend a lot of time looking for him. And here I am calling about my missing brother. And I hear this, I mean, it, it doesn't paint a very, you know, good picture of, you know, law enforcement for me. Plus they lied to us about so many things. So.
0: Mm, Well, sorry to hear that.
4: They're not all like that. And I know this, I know it's a small town and it's just County and they, you know, probably don't have a lot of resources, but you know, uh, it, all I really wanted was some cadaver dogs and stuff to go out there and search, you know, and you know, they, they just didn't even want to do that. So. And it wouldn't even been been them. It would have been a different organization. So
2: well, it's just just to address your question, the uh, I just looked in the the crime rate there was five violent crimes and twenty five property crimes in that particular town, like in that year, like in that year. <laughs> oh wow. Wow.
0: So pretty light on on the crime down there,
1: yes, and we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors.
0: Thanks to our sponsors, and now we're back to the program. Um, and uh, we talked a little bit about the area in where uh, Mike went missing. Um, it's, it seems pretty woodsy.
4: Yeah, there's a lot of um, marshland. It's low. They call it low country. It's low-lying land, and unfortunately, that year it it rained a lot too and flooded a lot, and so some of the areas were not easily accessible. And so we were trying to get, like I said, get in there. Or I was trying to get someone in there after the water had receded, you know, to see if maybe he was, you know, back in there somewhere in the woods.
0: You mentioned one one official uh, search. Do you know uh, where they searched?
4: We were going to do a search on the neighboring person's property. They had a pond that um, his son told us he liked to go um, walk to, and you'd walk look around. And so I got permission from the landowner to go do the search. And then the sheriff's department found out we were going to go do the search and got the, I think it was the natural resources. I had actually emailed them as well. And anyway, they went out there and said they searched and sent people in the water and stuff too. So I I don't know if they did. I mean, we weren't there. So that's just what they said.
1: You mentioned that he told his wife that he was hallucinating again. And I have a couple of questions that kind of fall in line with that. Was this hallucination, if he was having it again, was were these hallucinations induced by him trying to quit alcohol and he was going through withdrawals?
4: Yes, that's what um, that's what she was saying.
1: Right. Okay. So at the time he's seeing things, he's hallucinating because his body is going through the alcohol withdrawals because he's trying to not drink. Correct. Yeah. And if someone is like that serious of an alcoholic, you typically at that point don't want to leave them to their own devices uh that's like the toughest time
4: because he's tried to quit several times on his own which you know you can't really do so they had went to the hospital and he actually started having seizures when the last time and so that's my concern as well why would you leave when you know this happened before and he could have very well died if they hadn't went to the hospital
1: it's a good point when he was in the program at the va did they provide him with a sponsor
4: um, He'd actually done AA before several times. This was his oh. first time to try and go and get a psych evaluation and stuff through the VA.
1: Oh, I see. So I gotcha. So the psych evaluation was a VA, but he had done the he had done a program with the AA. Yes. And did he keep in touch with the sponsor?
4: Not usually. No. I mean,
1: right.
4: you know, it's you quit for a while and then you start up. I mean, it's some people just can't shake it they have more addictive personalities than other people so you know they're trying to quiet the voices in their mind
1: had he ever wandered away before
4: no um actually we had an advocate that asked um asked his wife that she said the furthest he had ever um wandered was like you know it wasn't very far because they had uh her parents had horses and cows and stuff and they had like you know a little barn area and that's the furthest he had went which wasn't far it's just like on their land up the road a little bit but actually just a driveway
2: there's a number of um Red flags, if you will, that indicate to us, I think, that th- things may not be as they, they were initially reported. Uh, uh, number one, given his alleged condition, when it was found that he was missing, a police report wasn't made until the next day. Now, given his medical condition, you would think immediately that would be the first thing you would do is notify the police hey, he's missing <laughs> uh, and he's suffering from. Potential alcohol withdrawal or whatever, Uh, but that wasn't done for an entire day. Secondly, the security camera on the residence or the trailer was not working that particular day for some reason. Um, And there's a number of other red flags there that indicate that perhaps, you you know, that require further investigation. Um, People that weren't interviewed that should have been interviewed. Just the fact that he left behind his wallet, his glasses, his keys, his chewing tobacco, um, to me indicates it's not a voluntary disappearance. I mean, he's obviously not gone to put a new life together for himself. His, His veterans checks haven't, as far as we know, that a bank account hasn't been touched since he went missing by him. So, you know, it all adds up to something tragic most likely happened to Mike. So to classify this as solely as a missing person case, it doesn't do justice, I don't believe, to what potentially happened. A uh, uh, Further, to, to to make things a little bit cloudy, there's a bullet hole in the side of the trailer uh, that was covered with duct tape.
0: Really? And w- when had that happened?
2: Well, uh, We don't know. Uh, the explanation is in one of his deliriums, he thought was shooting at something in his bathroom that he believed he saw. We don't
0: know, Belinda. Are those hallucinations something you um, you've heard of before? You you think is is real?
4: Yes, I mean, his wife called me when, um, like I said the last time, when he had seizures, he had them, was having them really bad. But uh, you know, and he didn't deny it when I talked to him. You know, when he got out of the hospital, so I'm I'm sure that's what happened. But you know, like you said, why would somebody leave? they knew they got that bad. And, and you know, um, I realized living with somebody with like that has these can't be easy, you know, but if you don't make them get help, then you're just enabling them. But, you know, even though it's not easy, you don't just not look for somebody because you're tired, tired of dealing with their, their issues.
0: Yeah. And how, how was Mike's marriage? If you don't mind me asking.
4: Um, as far, as far as I know, I mean, he loved her and, you know, I know when he was drinking, it, it could be difficult. I know this, he could, you know, be a, a rude person I would take up for her whenever I was around. And if he was, you know, get like that, I was like, dude, stop, you know, but I don't think he was really abusive. You know, even if he did try to get that way, when he was drunk, he get, he would get so drunk that he probably couldn't have done anything to anybody. You know, they just had an anniversary. I don't remember which one. It was in December, like uh, quite a few years they'd been married, you know, and he'd gotten her flowers and stuff. And, you know, I'm sure just like anybody else that is dealing with the uh, addiction in the family, it, it it had its ups and downs, I'm sure.
1: I'm curious about the um, the bullet hole in the trailer. And he said that he thought that he was, he knew he was hallucinating and he thought that he was shooting at something. Was the bullet hole like an exit hole or was it the other way? Like was he shooting from the inside?
4: That's what I was told, but somebody who saw the bullet hole said me told me that it looked like it was from the outside going in. I don't know. I I didn't. You know, stupid me. I should have went to South Carolina, but I thought other. You know, I thought the people that were there would do make more of an effort to look for him. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Anybody that's out of state and has a missing person, you think the other loved ones are going to look for him? Go do it yourself.
2: I don't believe any forensic exam was done on the trailer.
4: Nope. they did not even go inside that trailer, I don't think.
2: Lou,
0: is that something you could tell if you saw pictures though of the bullet hole from inside and from outside?
2: It's hard to say. It's possibly, I mean, I, you know, it, it depends on um a lot of factors and so I wouldn't I wouldn't want to venture a guess. I, I think, you know, for that's what forensic people are for, uh, you know, and ballistic people are for. I I I wouldn't want to speculate on that. But I I don't understand why a forensic exam wasn't done. I, that is beyond my comprehension at this point.
1: Yeah, I think the reason I asked is because none of he didn't take any of his firearms, right?
4: No, not that we're aware of.
1: Right. So if he had been in a state where he was hallucinating, if he was inside or outside and he thought that he was shooting at something, this wasn't the same type of hallucination. Because if if he was previously hallucinating and felt he needed to shoot whatever he was hallucinating, this was different because he felt like he needed to just get away.
4: Right. And that's what happened the last time Um, he felt like he just needed to get away. So they had to load up in the car and leave. And his wife took him to the hospital. They were so bad. But, yeah, they had to load up the dogs and everything and leave is what happened.
1: So that sounds like that was the case this time. And probably pretty fast if he didn't take any of those items, including something that... Oh, you had said that he would typically just carry his... I think he said his sidearm or his handgun just in case he saw a snake or something.
4: Right. Yeah. If he was going to... Because he had deer stands and stuff. So if he was going to go out to those or anything, you know?
0: And uh, are you still in touch with his wife?
4: No. I think she thinks I'm out to get her and point her as the the bad guy in this. And I'm really not. I just... I just um, feel like she didn't care enough. She may have, I don't know. That's just, I mean, I'm the one who's been contacting everybody and me and my daughter were trying to find someone when he first went missing. And, you know, my dad and my sister, our sister were the ones who kept blowing up the sheriff's department. I mean, we were the ones pushing and I kind of feel like without her pushing the sheriff's department as well, they were just kind of um, pushing up, pushing us off to the side, you know, because. She wasn't really looking.
0: So she didn't seem to push in the same way that you and the rest of your family did. No. Any any ideas on uh, on why?
4: Well, like I said previously, and unless she was just done with him and was glad he was not there, I, I don't know. The other alternative, I I'm not going to say because I'm not going to point fingers at people and you know say they did something when they didn't. That's just not that's just not me.
1: Did anybody? Um... In his immediate orbit, like anyone that his wife or or her family was, anybody ever concerned that he was uh he, he was prone to go into those states of hallucinating and and he still had these weapons because you said that he had hunting stands in the woods as well, so he probably had a maybe a, a rifle or two.
4: Oh, he had guns. He was a fire small firearms inspector in the navy, so yeah, he had guns. I'm not sure how many. They were all in a gun safe. Oh, okay. I was told none of them were missing. I don't know.
1: Mm -hmm. Was he on any medication?
4: Just, you know, for like high blood pressure, cholesterol, you know, normal stuff for people that are getting on up there in age.
0: If he was alone during the day when his wife wasn't there and he was having these hallucinations and felt like he needed to leave, what do you think he would have done? Like, was there a friend or a neighbor that he could rely on for rides or something like that?
4: Mm, Not anybody that... I think, I don't think there was anybody that he would go to. I don't know. I mean, there was a, let's just say family member of, of April's that lived at the end of the driveway, his too, but it was, you know, through her family. Um, and then her parents lived on some of the property too, not too far away, but I don't know if they were home. I don't, I don't know. Um, I don't think he would go ask them for help. The relationship with her parents was not that good. And I don't know about the other lady, if he'd go ask her or not. I don't know. I mean. Honestly, don't know if you would go ask anybody. You know, they had game cameras, too, and all the game cameras had the SD cards pulled that day.
1: Who who pulled those?
4: Well, they just, they were, I guess they were her family's, April's parents' game cameras, and none of the cards were in them. Supposedly that day they'd taken them out. It's just too many questions and not enough answers for me.
1: I just want to make sure I understand this. So the game cameras are cameras that are set up to capture deer and wild boar or any sort of... um, animal that one would hunt yes recorded on like a little sd card
4: yes that's correct
1: no sd cards in those cameras
0: the next morning
4: there were none of that day correct
0: and how many cameras
4: i'm not sure i didn't i don't know they didn't give me that information
0: okay but sounds like a at least a couple
4: Uh, yeah i'm sure they had them wherever the deer stands were too i mean so and on the trails
0: how many deer stands are there
4: I, i know he had one i don't know if there were others out there or not so
0: okay and these are cameras that will typically run all the time
4: um i'm not sure if they run all the time or if they're motion activated
2: which Mm -hmm.
4: is what a lot of them are now
2: usually they're motion motion activated either for still pictures or, or video depending on how modern they are and everything some can be monitored remotely depends how sophisticated they are but in any event these sound like they had dsd cards and they were just not operable that day
1: is there a hunting season or seasons?
4: I'm sure there is. I mean, here in Texas it's um bow season usually starts in October and then I think gun season in November. So, you know, it's warmer in South Carolina too, so there's is probably later in the year as well. I'm not I'm not sure. All states are different.
1: Yeah. Well, I would imagine that these cameras are placed in an area where they've typically seen whatever game they're hunting. Or they know that this might be a path where the game goes through, and is probably near the uh, deer stands.
0: I would imagine.
4: Probably, i I'm, Yeah, I would imagine. I'm. You know, I don't know how many they had up, or you know, how many cameras they have on the property. So.
0: And they had one in their own property as well.
4: On the back door. I'm not sure if they had one on the front door too. Um, I was just told about the one on the back door that was. Um, I was told that it was old and it was not working that day. And it looks like he went out the back door, is what I was told.
0: Do you know how soon before it had been working?
4: No.
1: If I had a nickel for every time a camera just didn't work on the day that somebody disappeared.
4: You'd be rich, wouldn't you?
1: (laughs) I mean, this month alone. And we'll be right back after a quick word from our
0: sponsors. An official message from Medicare. A
1: new
3: law is helping me save more money on prescription drug costs. Maybe you can save too. With Medicare's Extra Help program, my premium is zero and my out-of-pocket costs are low. Who should apply? Single people making less than $23,000 a year or married couples who make less than $31,000 a year. Even if you don't think you qualify, it pays to find out. Go to ssa.gov extrahelp extra help. Paid for by the U.S.
0: Department of Health and Human Services. Thanks to our sponsors. And now we're back to the program. You mentioned that Mike's glasses were still there at his house.
4: Yes. So the police didn't even go in and look in the. Uh, that I don't think they even went inside the trade on looked when he was reported missing. I'm trying to remember because it's been you know, almost three years now. But I asked his wife if he had his glasses on, and I think she told me yes. And then when she um, talked to another local reporter that did a thing on their local community page, a write up that somebody sent me because. I wasn't allowed to be on the community page um, <laughs> that uh, she said that he did not have them on. So I'm, um, I don't know. She might've just forgot. I, you know, I don't know.
0: Interesting. I mean, I guess there should be an answer if they were left behind, but, um and how was his vision uh, or how do you, how do you know it to be?
4: I know he needed them for reading and, but I'd seen some pictures, you know, that they'd taken when he was out and about during the day and he had them on. So I don't know if he just had bifocals like I do, so you don't have to keep putting them on and off. I I don't know if that was the case or not. I mean, I'm sure we talked about it somewhere down the line, but it's one of those things that (laughs) you don't think you're going to need to know.
1: So with all of this, Lou, what are the next steps? I mean, I think you said in the beginning, or not in the beginning, but you said earlier on that you've just kind of run out of knowing what to do. So what are the next steps?
2: We've tried to generate interest from several different law enforcement agencies to get involved in the case and thus far have been uh, unsuccessful. But like I said, I think we've gone as far as, as our private investigator can go. He's got a very complete and accurate report done, um, which, again, I think is very convincing that this needs further investigation. Unfortunately, as far as I know right now, there's absolutely nothing being done officially on the case. Um, And that's, that's too bad, but um, we, we would like to just generate some interest and get someone with law enforcement authority to, to look at this and, and, you know, question some people and conduct a more thorough investigation. That's been, than, than, that has been done up until this point. And I think the families owed that. I mean, I mean, if it turns out, okay, he wandered off and he's out in the area somewhere that's, Okay, that's that's too bad. It's tragic but it happens. Um, But if someone is criminally responsible, then um, the family, I think, is owed some answers also.
0: And, um, Lou, we often hear follow the money when looking at cases. Uh, Does this one, in your opinion, have any element like that?
2: I I, I don't know because we don't have access to financial records. Obviously, there's been no insurance um, because he's still alive. Officially, who has access to his account? Because I'm assuming his VA checks are still arriving every month because he is still alive officially. You know, is that bank account intact? Has someone been withdrawing it? I I don't know the answers to that. I think that's something that law enforcement could easily find out. But again, as far as I know, that hasn't been done. I I don't know. They have not shared that with us in, in any event.
1: Is that typical that when somebody who is receiving checks from the VA, when they, I guess, go missing? And they're not declared deceased? The checks still arrive?
2: I would assume, yes. I, I don't yeah. know why they would stop them. You know, people are adults. They don't have to, to be in any one particular place at any one particular point in time. I mean, you know, we run into that occasionally, voluntary disappearances. I don't think right. that's the case in this case, but that does happen. Um, so I don't believe that there would be any any reason for them to stop the veterans' checks. We've tried to get them interested in looking into it, we were unsuccessful, unfortunately, you know, we tried the FBI they don't have jurisdiction as far as we're better advised. the state does not get involved unless invited in by the sheriff's Department. so we're kind of stuck officially anyways or getting official involvement
1: well i'm I'm so sorry to hear that this is where it's at right now, and I it's so tragic and again, I hope people listen to this, and I hope that just something maybe some piece of advice or something jogs someone's memory or maybe somebody has access to cadaver dogs to donate for a search or drones or something, but I mean the fact that like the v a won't investigate this i mean they're they're writing checks like monthly checks, I imagine to to who
2: well, a direct deposit probably right, but they don't care
1: if someone is like not
2: receiving them, I can't answer. Uh, as far as cadaver dogs go, um, that has been offered. And I don't believe some of the property has been allowed to be searched, to the best of our knowledge.
1: Oh, truly frustrating. Very sorry. Yeah. It's, it's at this point.
0: Is there anything else you'd like to say on the record uh, about Mike's uh, disappearance or about Mike?
4: Just that, you know, it's he would not work, walk away from everything that he had worked so hard for all of his life, voluntarily. I know this for a fact. I don't know. I, I think he deserved better from the sheriff's department and from other people. I think we're going to try and uh, get the funds together to put up a billboard down there to bring, you know, awareness to the fact that he's still missing because a lot of people don't even know. They, you know, they don't know. I mean, so hopefully, you know, something will turn up from that. I You know, and the cadaver dogs were offered and we had the search set up and we did have access to the land. But unfortunately... Again, it rained and got rained out, and then we could not <clears throat> get permission to go back on the land again. That's why I was hoping to do it through the sheriff's department. That way, they could probably get permission to go out there, but that didn't you know, work either. So I just feel like he was failed in so many ways.
1: Yeah, it's understandable. I mean, right down to not allowing a search on the property a second time when the circumstances for the first search were out of your control. Correct. So you miss your opportunity. It's so frustrating.
4: Yes, it is very frustrating. So I'm just hoping that, you know, we can bring enough awareness to this that maybe somebody else will help us get something done down there.
0: The,
1: the people who own the property that refuse to search a second time, do you think if they were offered some money, they would allow it?
4: So the neighboring land, I don't know if they would or not. I just know that we had gotten permission and then after the sheriff's department did there is that the guy called our advocate and told her that she no longer had permission to go on his land and search. And then as for my brother's in-law's property, uh, I would have to get a hold of his wife and ask her if we could get somebody to do it, if she'd let us go out there and do it. And actually, I'd probably have to go through a stepson because he, I was told that she didn't really want to be uh, involved with it anymore.
2: You know, I think the biggest tragedy or shame in this thing is that the guy who's gave 20 years of his life to our country work you know being in the in the navy developed some issues probably as a result of that and now we can't get anyone from the government to help find him that's really too bad really is